good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. If you're visiting with us when you leave today, before you go, make sure you go through our main lobby and grab you one of our bags at the welcome table. It's got some info on our church and some ways that you can connect with the church and the ways that we can maybe better serve you in the future. But uh, I want to draw your attention to these beautiful flowers here on the front of the stage. Uh, Freddie Brock put these together himself. And uh, they are for Cindy Lou. They have... Uh, they're celebrating 30 years of marriage, so great job uh, setting an example for your kids and setting an example for the church. And He's away today on military duties, and uh, Cindy Lou said she wasn't sure uh, who had to put up with each other the most. Sometimes he had to put up with you and you had to put up with him. And Tracy thought it would be nice to put that verse right there. Y'all can read it later. Y'all probably had to call on that verse a few times. God is my strength and my refuge. Uh, so, um, but if you will take notice in the bulletin, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not in the bulletin, there are weddings, there are baby showers and baby showers and baby showers and baby showers and baby showers. We had a staff meeting this week and if we've counted correctly, just the ones that we know about, we're going to have 10 plus babies born between the end of April and the beginning of June. So, um, if you're interested in serving in the nursery, um, we're, we're talking about how we're going to make room and prepare, prepare for all these babies and maybe having two baby rooms and those kinds of things. Um, seriously, if you, if you have not held a baby in a while and you want your fix for a few months, okay, uh, talk to Elizabeth Walker or talk to uh, Lisa Powell, and uh, we would love to have your help uh, in, in just holding those babies and loving on those babies. Um, and so that's just something that's just it's coming up. It's, it's happening. You can't stop it. Okay, they're going to be here. All in a, within a few months, okay? So just, just think about that. But I think that's all we got as far as announcements go. Do keep an eye on your bulletin. There are tons and tons of uh, showers and things that are coming up and going on. So uh, just take note of those. But if you will, right now, stand up and just turn to your neighbor and ask them if they want to serve in the nursery. And if they do, go talk to Lisa Powell.
morning. Um, I was reminded this morning, for whatever reason, came to my mind. It's a quote that I've read probably multiple times here as we go into this time of prayer. John Piper said this. He said, you cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. Y'all understand we have a battle we face every day. There is a spiritual battle that we do not see with our eyes, but we experience through circumstances, through temptation, through struggles, through a world system that goes against what we believe. I'll read that one, one, one more time. You cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. We have a battle against the world, our flesh, and the devil. But as that song just reminded us, the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So as we go to this time of prayer this morning, maybe you're facing the battle. Maybe you've really felt it this week, or maybe you know someone, maybe in your family, a friend, a coworker, who you know is facing spiritual battles in their life. And you just need to be the one that intercedes for them. So as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to come, kneel around the altar, or stay there at your seat. But let's pray for one another. Pray for yourself. Ask the Lord to help you fight this fight. And for our church as well. So you come as our praise team leads us. Lord, I need you. Heavenly Father, our mighty God, we call on you, thanking you that you hear us, thanking you that you are with us this morning. And God, we're thankful that through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, as greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So God, we, we win because of you. But God, we face battles every single day. Lord, sometimes we, we just make excuses, we, we just brush it off, but Lord, we need you. We need to depend on you daily in this world, in this battle that we face. And right now, if you know someone that's facing that battle, just lift them up. If it's you, just ask the Lord to strengthen you. If you've got a family member that you know is still struggling, ask the Lord to speak to them, encourage them, and strengthen them and to help them fight. Lord, we are thankful also that we have the privilege to call on you. Lord, that we can freely come into this place and worship you. So much of our battle is done on our knees. So God, help us to depend on you. Lord, not to depend on our own strength, but Lord, to re readily run to you and rely on you and seek your counsel, seek your wisdom, seek your word. And Lord, help us to be that friend to those that are struggling. Help us to be an example of your presence, Lord, that we would truly be your hands and feet in this world. Lord, today as we gather to worship, may you be honored and glorified, and may you speak to us and challenge us from your word. Thank you, Lord, that you hear and that you answer, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I
thankful every word that they just sang was true. Even when we don't understand, God is in control. What a way to live. That's really the only way we can live in this world is knowing who sits on the throne. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And this, today I'm going to be talking about really the first part of this. This is going to be a two-part sermon. Uh, today we're going to look at the first part of this passage. And then in a couple weeks I'm going to finish this passage. Next week we're going to have a special guest, uh, Michael Perdue. I say Dr. Michael Perdue, I believe. Um, Michael grew up here and he is a pastor at uh, First Baptist Eichard. And uh, just a couple years ago he served as the state convention president for North Carolina Baptist. Um, and uh, I had asked him and been talking to him at times over the past month and just asked him early on if he could come and fill the pulpit. So I'm excited to have Michael back next week. He grew up here like I did, and we were just talking this week of what um, kind of what we went through. As I shared uh, Wednesday night, one of the scariest days of my life was when I was a teenager, I taught Steve Lackey's Sunday school class. <laughs> and... Uh, I made it through. That was the day. Um, yeah, Steve reminds me every time that my voice cracked on that day, and I reminded the class that I was going through puberty at that time. So that's always been an ongoing joke. But I was talking to Michael. He said that he taught Steve's class on a youth Sunday as well as a teenager. And uh, so I'm just looking forward to seeing Michael next week. I hope you'll be here to support him, but also to hear the word preached. I want you to look at this phrase, and for those who have been... Uh, here on Wednesday night or Sunday night, we've kind of touched on this at different, in different times, different ways. But it's just um, a statement. What we believe drives our behaviors. Okay, think about that. What we believe really does drive our behavior. Do you believe that? Well, I would say at the very least, if they don't drive everything, they have at least greatly influence how we live our lives. It influences how we respond to circumstances, how we feel sometimes, choices that we make. In fact, if you've ever been to counseling or done counseling, one of the simple things about counseling is you have a chance to talk. You have a chance to be real and be honest and talk about your feelings, talk about what you're going through. And in doing so, a lot of times in counseling, you go back and you're like, how long have I been thinking this way? And sometimes you'll go back to circumstances in your life and some of those circumstances are often painful times, traumatic times, difficult times, where you went through that, and through that experience, you started to think and reason a certain way based on the circumstances. And sometimes those ways of thinking are not really based in truth. And through, that, through the counseling, sometimes you discover that um, some of the things, the way we're living, the emotions that we wrestle with, fears sometimes that can control us, distrust of others, doubts, how we see others, how you see yourself, again, is not based on truth. You begin to think wrong through circumstances because you just had to survive through the trauma. And there is a faulty belief system. There's lies either that you were told or that you began to tell yourself and became convinced of. The point is what we believe influences what, how we behave. Now, this is just a simple illustration, kind of maybe going too long on this, but I want you to get this point because what we believe drives what we do. Just a simple example. Let's say one of our two-year-olds, one of our toddlers, escapes extended session this morning. And that toddler runs down here by herself, runs down the aisle, 
probably screaming, runs up here on the stage and begins yelling, fire. I don't know if that's how preschoolers would say fire. <laughs> fire, fire. Everybody weave. Okay, you're laughing. And I guarantee you if that toddler ran up here on stage and started saying stuff like that, how many of you would be rushing out the door? Y'all be laughing, wouldn't you? You're like, whose parents? Who, who, does that, who does that baby belong to? And all you're thinking is she's had too much juice, too many goldfish, and had too long a nap. However, what you believe is going to keep you in your seat because you don't really believe what she's saying. However, if during the sermon, let's say five firemen in full turnout gear came busting through the back doors yelling, fire, fire, everybody needs to exit this building immediately, how many of you will immediately grab your stuff, your family, and get out as quickly as you can? Raise your hand. Okay, your belief now is not keeping you in your seat. Your belief is now pushing you out the door. Same information, pretty much, but you believe differently. Your beliefs determine what you do. And that idea is not far into Scripture. If you look in Scripture, and we're going to look at several here, we see that that's a pattern, it's just a simple truth. One of those is Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. And I have these on the screen. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your heart. And you understand your heart is your, your mind, your emotion, your will. It's the center of your being. Let them penetrate deep in your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart, your mind, your emotions, your will. For it determines the course of your life. Mark DeHaan, uh, who writes for Our Daily Bread, I think he may be the editor or manager of that, he says this, concerning this vital organ, the heart, or our spiritual heart, says it has throbbed millions of times with thoughts, affections, and choices. In the heart, we determine how we will speak, behave, and respond to life's circumstances. Another one is Romans 12, 2. And this is a familiar passage. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, that's what you think, that's what you believe. That you may prove what is good, that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. A couple more, John 8, 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth the truth of who Christ is, what he's done, what he was going to do. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth changes our reality if we believe the truth. For this one, they were no longer slaves or had to be slaves to sin. They could find freedom in Christ. The truth will set you free. And then one more, Romans 10, 1 through 4. This is, again, Paul writing. And he's writing to, to the, talking about Jew, the Jews who were not believers. It says the Israelites. It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Is being zealous for God a good thing? Absolutely. We should all be zealous for God. But he says, but their zeal, their passion to serve him, is not based on knowledge or truth, since they did not know the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own and did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, their belief that the old system, the sacrificial system, going through the law and the traditions, that that was the way to get right with God, 
that belief was actually what was keeping them from becoming right with God. So what we believe really matters. It drives how we live our lives. And this is especially true when we talk about the Lord and His Word. Our doctrine and theology matters. It's, what is, it's the why behind what we do and how we live. <clears throat> Stephen Cole says this, says the modern American evangelical church has largely relegated theology as being irrelevant to life, boring, and even divisive. There was times in my life where I'm like, why are we in Leviticus? <laughs> why are we in the Old Testament? Because you read this and there's a lot of information in the Old Testament. And you're like, how is this relevant to my life? And we think about that in theology and doctrine. And sometimes we think that's just for really smart people and it's kind of boring. But he says, the emphasis in the modern American church is on pragmatics. How can I improve my marriage? How can I rear my kids? How can I maximize my potential on my job? Don't give me doctrine. I just want to know what works. But in the New Testament, the, never, the New Testament never divorces doctrine from deeds. What we believe impacts how we behave. It's vitally important that we understand who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us in Christ as the foundation for how we live as Christians. Understanding our position, and that's where we're going today, our position in Christ is the basis for our practice in daily life. So if you would stand after that long introduction, and we're going to read this passage together. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which is consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter, manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is living and active. It does not return void. So, Lord, in spite of me, I pray that your word would be proclaimed, and I pray that your word would penetrate hearts and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just a couple quick thoughts concerning the first part of this. Who is Paul writing? Or Again, I say Paul. A lot of scholars believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, even though we're not sure who the author is. But here the writer is writing to the Hebrew uh, Jewish believers because, he, first of all, he calls them brethren. We'll look at that in a second. But he's writing Jewish believers, and he highlights several things. From chapter 1, verse 1, up to this point, he talks about the supremacy of Christ, how Christ is the greater revelation. Um, he is the great high priest and mediator. He is his supreme and sufficient sacrifice for sin. He is reviewing for all these ten chapters. He's just going back doctrinally, reminding them of the truth and comparing it to the old, the old law. He says he gives them these truths, and then he interrupts all these truths, this information, these doctrines, with some practical applications for these believers. 
And he says he comes to this point, and he's talking about the person and work of Christ. And the point of this is, for 10 chapters, he's reminding them this doctrine now is going to turn to a duty. These precepts are now going to turn into practice. And these instructions will turn into exhortation on how we are to live. So let's walk through the first part of this passage this morning. First of all, we see in verse number 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, before we even get to the first point, two words I want you to look at. First of all is therefore. Again, every time you see therefore in Scripture, what do you, what do, you do? You ask, what is the therefore, therefore? This is leading into what he just talked about. All those doctrinal truths for 10 chapters, he's now saying, because of this, therefore, now, because of that. He's making a turn in what he's, how he's presenting this to these believers. He's saying that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's the greater revelation. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater Moses, the greater mediator of a new covenant. He's the greater and final sacrifice for sin. Because of Jesus, all things are different. So, therefore, old's gone and new has come. Therefore, he says to brethren. So, who's he talking to? These are not unbelievers. These are Jewish believers. And these are believers that are now, after leaving what they had known their whole life, being raised in Jewish families, now turned to Jesus. And everything has changed. And now they are being persecuted, likely by their own families, by friends, and the community that they were once a part of. Now that they've turned to Jesus as the Messiah, many are now rejected and face many trials. And he's saying, therefore, now these Jewish believers, look at verse, or chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. This is what some of them are experiencing. It says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when, you were, and, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So here you have these Jewish believers, and he's addressing them because they've come to Jesus, and guess what? Their life didn't get better. <laughs> there, weren't, there wasn't prosperity. There wasn't all the time happiness and laughter. And their life didn't necessarily improve on the outside but they knew the truth and they knew better things were coming. But now that they're following Jesus, they are now suffering, even with, from their own families. And the tendency and the temptation for many of them, and he addresses it in other places, is when the suffering comes, what is our tendency? It is to drift. It is to drift slowly. And I'm sure there were many that were suffering and they were like, and they looked at, at all those that they used to spend time with, they were part of this circle of friends and even with their family. And they're looking at this and they're like, man, just it'd be easier to go back to go back to what I knew, all the stuff that I was comfortable with. So they were faced with really a crisis of what they believe. Is Jesus the way? And they had put their faith in him, but now they were suffering. So this letter was really sent to strengthen these believers Reminding them of the truth, and now, based on that truth, what that means for us. So it says, therefore, brethren. And then he says, having boldness. So that brings us to the first place of our position. We are confident. Are you confident in your walk with God? 
do you rest in the confidence that we have in him because of what he's done? We have, first of all, a confidence in the sacrifice, having boldness. When it says boldness, that literally means to have confidence. In the Greek, it meant all speech. You ever said somebody, like in the military, they'd say, permission to to speak freely, sir? You ever heard somebody say that? And that's basically giving them permission to say whatever's on their heart and on their mind. And he's saying here, this is all speech. You have confidence, you have assurance, you have no doubt, you have full freedom. It says having boldness now to what? Boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now we go back again to these Jewish believers. This is temple talk, this is tabernacle talk. He's saying you have now the freedom and boldness confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus this is literally referring to the holy of holies in the temple and what was the significance of the holy of holies who was there in the holy of holies it was the presence of God this was the literal presence of God he would come to rest as the tabernacle would move they'd set the tabernacle up and that's where the presence of God dwelt and he's saying now believers Whether you've been a believer for 60 years or if you're a new believer, you now have the boldness and confidence to enter the holiest, the very presence of God, not because you're good enough. It is never because we've earned it. We can enter the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. And this was a place for them. How many times could they go into the holy of holies, the priest? How many times a year? It was once a year, the Day of Atonement. And when those priests would go into the, day, into the Holy of Holies, they not only, when they would take the sins of the people, they had to first offer a sacrifice for their own selves. They were sinners. But once a year, they would offer that sacrifice for themselves, and then they would bring the sacrifice on behalf of the people into the presence of God. For these Jewish believers who had heard this and been taught this their whole life, think about that. Your whole life, you're like, this is one time a year. We, we can't get near the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go in there. And for many of them, they were just on the outer courts or even for Gentiles, they couldn't even get into to near the temple. But for, for now, everything has changed. We have now a boldness to come literally into the presence of God. And I'm sure for these Jewish believers, there was a thought, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true that I can come into the very presence of God at any time. Not once a year, every single day. No Jew could conceive of going into that place. In fact, it's interesting in Jerusalem, as I was studying this, there's times where these signs will come and go. Sometimes they'll be put up by the uh, rabbis on the Temple Mount, and uh, especially with Orthodox Jews. But I want you to show that sign if you can read that. I can't read the back one. But there are signs there. It says, according to Torah, it is forbidden for any person to enter the area of the Temple Mount due to its sacredness, the chief, um, chief rabbi in Israel in that area. And these are signs that will, I believe they're still there today. As I said, sometimes they'll come down and they'll put them back up. But think about that, <clears throat> that they can't even go up and just have freedom to walk on the Temple Mount. What they are believing is keeping them from having a boldness and a confidence to come to God. But you and I, these Jewish believers, as he's addressing them, 
you have a confidence. You can have a boldness to come before the very presence of the Lord. And this is not cockiness. Sometimes we read this, let's have boldness to come before God. Like we just come strutting up there. That is not what that's talking about. It is not cockiness. It is not arrogance. It is based on what Christ has done. There is no arrogance in that. It is humility because we're there because of him and him alone. So do you have a boldness and confidence? We have boldness and confidence because of sacrifice. Because secondly, it's a, it's a new and living way. The word newly here literally meant it was newly slain or newly killed or freshly slaughtered was how that term new was used. But this new way of coming before God and coming into his presence is not just that he was newly killed, but he is a living way. And what does that signify? We have a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice Jesus was slain for us, but now he lives and he is a new and living way. All the sacrifices before remain dead. But we have the living sacrifice who died for us and rose from the dead. And we see a contrast here between the old covenant and the new covenant. With the old covenant, the old sacrificial system, this, was, this had to be repeated. And it did not take away our, the sin of the people. It did not remove it. It simply provided a covering for their sin so they could have a relationship with God. It did not remove the guilt. It was a reminder that the animal sacrifice was never sufficient. If the animal sacrifice was sufficient, once they sacrificed, it would have been enough. But guess what? They had to do it year after year after year after year. <clears throat> that sacrifice was never final. But now we have a new and living way, is what Jesus, or what he's saying, through Christ. A sacrifice that does not need to be repeated. It was once for all. A sacrifice that takes away sin, doesn't just cover it, and takes away even the guilt of our sin. It is the sufficient sacrifice. So where's our confidence lying? We have a new and living way. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I believe that's on the screen. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of goats bulls and goats to take away sins so it is a new and living way and every time we come to Christ if we understand what he's done when you come in here to worship when you go to him in prayer you have the incredible privilege to come with confidence before a holy God because of Jesus and then it says a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. This new and living way through Christ. Not only do we have that, it was initiated, is what that means, consecrated. It was initiated and established by God himself through Christ's death and resurrection. You and I have now free access to Jesus. These Jewish believers 
For all their life they had been limited in their walk with him and knowing him. But now through Christ, it says, they have, through Christ, through the veil, they have access to him. Again, that's tabernacle language. Look at this picture. And you've seen many pictures, but in the back right there, you see there's a curtain and you see the Ark of the Covenant back there. And that was the Holy of Holies. And that veil continually kept the people separated from the presence of God. Just a reminder of sin. And only once a year could a priest, high priest go in and make the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And here's what it's saying. It says, now he has made a new and living way that he initiated. It's not us getting to him. It's him now initiating and coming to us to provide the way. We have that through the veil that is his flesh. Jesus' flesh. Matthew 27, we're going to look at this, I'm sure. Think about this as we get into the Easter season. Matthew 27 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which meant there was no way man could have done that. From top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So now we have a way that God initiated through Jesus, through him. He is the veil, and that veil has been ripped. His body was broken. We will, we, when we observe, observe the Lord's Supper in a couple weeks, we'll say his, his blood was shed, his body was broken. And here it's connecting to the fact that through Jesus, we have direct access to God. He is the veil, and that veil has been torn. That sacrifice was final. The way is opened to the very presence of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, putting to death the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we have, whether you always act on it, whether you feel it, we have a position before a holy God of confidence because of the death and resurrection. He is the new and living way But not only do we have confidence because of his sacrifice, we have confidence because he is our mediator. We have confidence in our mediator. We have confidence in our relationship because Jesus is our great high priest. And just a couple passages as we kind of end this. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You have at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven an advocate. Jesus lives forever to make intercession for us, his, his followers, his children. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the face, faith that we perseth, profess. Y'all don't know, I took Sudafed this morning. (laughs) These allergy seasons, and I am dried up. Let me read that again. Through Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with, again, boldness, confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
I want you to think about your worst day and your walk with the Lord because we have those bad days, don't we? We have the conviction of the Holy Spirit because what we did we should not have done. And what we see when we understand that we have confidence become, to come before a holy God, it changes everything. We have a high priest that is interceding for us, our mediator. And not only is he God in the flesh, but look at this. He can empathize with our weaknesses. He understands sin because he was tempted, but he did not sin. He understands our weakness. He's our creator, but he also, as he took on flesh, he understands the struggle of this flesh. And when we come to him, he understands you. Anybody ever said, nobody gets me, nobody understands me. According to God's word, we have a savior, a mediator who understands you completely, fully. There's nothing you can hide from him. There's nothing you can do to impress him. He knows you inside and out. And we are to come as we are before him with boldness and confidence. Again, that's not arrogance. That's not cockiness. We come confidently because of what he has done. He made the way. The veil was torn and he's invited us into his very presence as his son or daughter. We have confidence to come before Christ because he is forever our high priest. He will not cease to be our high priest. He will forever be our mediator. There's a reason when we pray, any of you ever say, in Jesus' name? Because it is through Christ that we have access to the Father. He is our mediator. We have a mediator who is fully understands our weakness, and we have a mediator who provides the grace and mercy in our time of need. When our, be, when our very being, when we sin, our tendency is we want to run from God. When you understand that we have confidence and we should have boldness to approach the throne, when we sin, we don't run from him, but in confidence based on Jesus, we run to him because he is the only one that can do anything with our sin. He is the only one that provides the grace and the mercy that we desperately need. So we are to come boldly and confidently. Our confidence is in his sacrifice. Our confidence is in Jesus as our mediator. And as we close, I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Again, this week is introduction. What we're talking about this week is going to lend itself to what we're going to talk about next time. Because this is true, because you have confidence to come before a holy God, it's going to mean something. There's things that we are to do. There are exhortations on how we are to live. But as we close, just thinking about these two central truths for us as believers... If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you've trusted in him as your perfect sacrifice, he paid your debt. The amazing truth and reality is for every single one of you, and we as a body of believers, we have confidence, assurance, boldness in our relationship with him. And again, it's not because of our righteousness, not because we're a great church, not because we do this or that for him. We have boldness, and it's based solely on the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. And understanding this confidence impacts how we should gather and worship. It should impact how we come in here to worship. Any of you ever come down here, come in, it's just like you just want to keep your head down. Like you just don't feel worthy to come into the presence of God. But listen, when you understand this, no matter what this week has held for you, whether it's been good or bad, we should come in here with confidence knowing that we are coming to worship in the very presence of God. 
that we're here to praise our holy and righteous God. And because of Christ, we come confidently knowing that he wants us to come so that we can find the mercy and grace that we need. I'm going to ask our musicians just to begin to play. So just a couple closing thoughts. When you understand how confident you should be in your relationship with the Lord, when you understand what's been made available through Christ as our high priest, as our sacrifice, it should make us want to worship Him more. When we sing, our words should mean a little bit more when we understand what He's done for us. We should be willing to serve more because of what He's done. And we should want to live to glorify Him more and more. And as we walk confidently before Him, it's so, it seems like it's, it goes against the grain here, it seems weird. But the more confident we are to walk in His presence, the more humble we ought to be in the way we live our life because of what He's done. So my question for some of you today, have you come to a place in your life where you know and you're convinced of two things? Number one, that you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed God, you know you're guilty, and have you come to experience and trust in Jesus Christ as your sacrifice for sin? If you have not come to that place in your life of those two things, understand that today Jesus Christ has made a way for you. He invites you. He initiates he is our sacrifice. And you just simply come to a point and say, God, I'm a sinner, but I know that you died for me. And I want you to be my Savior. But also, if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have a relationship with Him, my question is, are you anchored? Are your roots down deep in the fact that you have confidence to come before God in your relationship with Him? He invites us to come boldly and confidently before Him. Or is there something keeping you at a distance? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, even now, just trust in Him. Place your faith in Him. Call on Him to save you, knowing that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and He is your only hope. But if some of you feel like that in your walk with Him, there's something keeping you back, it seems like there's a wall, there's hesitancy because of what you've done, understand that He is saying, come boldly to Him. Come confidently to Him to find that mercy and grace that you need. <clears throat> Lord, I thank You for Your amazing grace and mercy. God, I thank You for Jesus, that You sent Your Son to be the sacrifice for our sin. Lord, you initiated that. This is not, there is no way for us to get to you on our own. But in your grace, you sent your son to provide the way. You came to us, and I pray that all of us would understand that amazing truth and walk in that truth. For those who don't know you, may they trust you. For those who do know you but feel like they're walking at a distance, help them to come boldly back into your throne and worship you and live for you, knowing that you welcome them because of the sacrifice, because we have a great mediator. And Lord, may we never get over that fact. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you just to, to sing as we close this service in prayer. And if you've made a decision today, I'll be available up front during this time and be available after the service. But you respond as the Lord leads.
Well, I want to thank you all for being here. And just to remind you, in a couple of weeks, we'll finish this passage because we're going to see there's three things that we are called to do. They're let us statements. And it would radically, when we get it, it can transform a congregation, can transform a church, can transform our relationships. So I hope that you'll be here in a couple of weeks for sure. Just a reminder that next week we will have a special called business meeting at the conclusion of the service. You can see that information in your bulletin. And also a reminder that today at 4 o'clock we're going to have a floating reception to honor um, Sharon Adkins for her years of service. That will be in the lobby. We will have some pickup foods that will be available. And uh, as we leave today, if there's any of you that are available, we've got a cart full of chairs that's back here, our folding chairs. We're going to take those out to the lobby. We need to set those up out there. We're also going to need some help setting up several tables. Justin's going to be available to help direct that. But if you have uh, time and can help us set that up, um, we would appreciate it. Hope you have a great afternoon. Hope to see you this afternoon. You're dismissed.